0: Modern Love, the podcast, is made possible with support from Living Proof.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
0: Living Proof uses patented science to create the healthiest hair possible. Their healthy hair molecule, OFPMA, keeps hair cleaner longer, so you can wash your hair less often. Use the code LOVE at livingproof.com for a free travel-size dry shampoo with your $20 order. We are the science. You are the Living Proof. And by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, or to open an online store... Squarespace can make it happen with easy-to-use tools and a free trial that you can start today. Use offer code MODERNLOVE to get 10% off your first purchase at squarespace.com.
2: From the New York Times and WBUR Boston, this is Modern Love. Stories of love loss, and redemption. I'm your host, Magna Chakrabarty. I'm pretty sure no one has ever said, I don't care how my date looks. And yet, we all need to be reminded sometimes that how we look doesn't determine how worthy we are of love. That's what Leslie Lair learned, and it wasn't easy. Katie Couric brings this week's essay to life. She's formerly of NBC's Today Show and the CBS Evening News. She's now the global news anchor for Yahoo.
1: Katie reads Leslie's essay, How I Got to Hear. When I told him I would never marry again, I meant it. We were holding hands in a restaurant in Santa Barbara, California, on our first weekend away and I was hiding my nerves behind the boldness of high heels and a garter belt. I wasn't trying to bait the hook or reel in the lifelong bachelor. Newly single after 20 years, I loved how he admired my long hair and subtle decolletage, how he laughed at my witty banter. I felt like a femme fatale and I liked it. Nothing serious, nothing permanent. We were there for the fun. There was a gleam in his eyes as he raised his glass in a toast. To Lady Beautiful. We had met decades earlier when I took his writing seminar in Los Angeles. During the break, he admired my engagement ring. He was cute in a preppy way, but I was not the kind of girl to be hot for teacher. He had a policy of inviting students to stay in touch, so I did. Ten years later, the phone rang in the kitchen where I was making dinner while my daughters played underfoot. I wiped my hands on my sweatpants and picked up my crying four-year-old to comfort while I answered. He had received the invitation to the book party for my first novel and was calling to congratulate me. Despite thousands of students, he went out of his way to call. Surprised, I shifted my daughter to the other hip, smoothed the loose hair toward my ponytail, and hung up the phone, smiling. Another decade, and a difficult divorce later, I climbed out of bed and studied my bedraggled reflection in the mirror. After years of being an exhausted, work-at-home mom, it was time to take better care of myself, to control my destiny, to set a good example for my daughters. I needed a new project, one that would reclaim my maiden name. When I sat down to begin writing, I dug out my faded notes from his class, now adorned with crayon marks and coffee stains. These notes had guided every book I had ever sold. I owed this man a thank you. I wrote an email offering to buy him a coffee. Then I hesitated. I had just begun to date, so naturally I wondered if he was single. I envisioned three kids in a house in the Hancock Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. This was networking, I told myself. What did I have to lose? I hit send. The next day, he emailed me back. I'll buy the coffee. We met at the Coffee Bean in Santa Monica, where he waited in shorts and flip-flops. His hair was gray, but he wore the same preppy glasses had the same dimples. I was surprised he wasn't more businesslike. Then again, I wore a dress. He didn't remember me. He didn't recall our long-ago class or phoning to congratulate me years later. He admitted that he clicked on the link to my website and saw my picture. Our coffee lasted three hours. Would you like to have dinner, he asked me, as we walked to the door? We don't have to call it a date. We could just eat at the same time. I was confused. Why wouldn't we call it a date? Most people don't like dating, he said. I love dating. You're new, he said. We began to date. Every Friday, he drove to the valley to take me out to dinner. After a long week, I loved dressing up and dining out. I loved having my girls pick out my earrings, then answer the door to a man bearing flowers. Sure, they were teenagers eager to get rid of me on a Friday night, but they also saw how a woman should be treated. And they saw that I was a woman worthy of respect. Soon we added Saturday nights at his house. After shuttling the girls to their activities, I primped for hours shedding my valley mom's skin with each mile through Topanga Canyon to Santa Monica. Once the ocean was in view, my transformation was more than physical. By the time I arrived at his house, I had done everything possible to make myself beautiful, to feel beautiful, and he was a worthy audience, appreciating every detail. All I had to do was breathe. A few months later I stood at the back of the bookstore where he presented his new book several attractive and sophisticated women turned their heads to look at me old girlfriends i guessed i was more impressed than jealous one came over and pointed at my name in the acknowledgments risky business for him to include me i thought since we were only dating are you the new girlfriend she asked i hesitated We were certainly exclusive. He had just bought me a bathrobe for his house. Yet there was something wicked and wonderful about being the girlfriend. It meant he wanted me. It meant we were having fun. His entire family showed up while I was on a book tour in Denver. I was about to read a sex scene when I realized this would be their first impression of me. So what, I thought, I was just a girlfriend. I could do what I pleased. Four years passed, I splurged on lipstick and lingerie and continued to play the part of femme fatale. On our next vacation, he told the hotel clerk it was our anniversary, so they upgraded our room and served us champagne. I began to wonder if we would ever have a wedding anniversary. Now when he called me Lady Beautiful, I felt cheap. There was no logical reason for us to marry. I had no interest in having more children, and he was fine without. I could get my own apartment. I still wanted to set a good example for my daughters. If I was going to be single, why not keep my options open? I loved him, but if I couldn't reel him in, it was time to cut bait. It took weeks for me to get the courage to confront him. He listened patiently, then began to laugh. Never getting married were your terms, he said, not mine. Later, he showed me a yellowed newspaper article he had clipped after our first romantic weekend in Santa Barbara. It was entitled, How to Buy an Engagement Ring. We were married overlooking the ocean in Malibu. He wanted a real wedding so his parents could be there. I teased him that he wanted them to know he would have someone to care for him in old age. His Ivy League friends flew out to see the notorious bachelor's demise with their own eyes. He asked me to wear a real wedding dress so he could show off his beautiful bride. Days before our second anniversary, I learned I had breast cancer. Within months, I lost my hair, my eyelashes, everything that made me beautiful. On Valentine's Day, we sat in front of the fire until I could smell plastic burn on the back of my wig. I couldn't taste the chocolate or drink the wine, but he seemed happy, eating shrimp and being together. He called me Lady Beautiful, but I thought he was just humoring me, It made me feel worse. Soon there were fewer good days. My fingers were numb, my nails purple, and my eyes too teary to see. I couldn't keep up the charade, didn't want to. After my high heels were exiled to the back of my closet, he helped me stumble around the neighborhood in slippers. He sat with me through chemo until I shooed him away. I didn't want him to see me like that helpless and weak. The chemo fog descended, and I couldn't get my words right or my thoughts clear. I felt stupid. I felt ugly. Most of all, I felt guilty. I'm so sorry, I said. This is not what you signed up for. That may be true, he said, but neither did you. Now we sit in bed watching TV every night, My favorite fashion show is on and he turns to me. This is the perfect date, he says. I laugh thinking he is teasing as he rubs my aching legs. But when I look at his face, he's smiling. And I realize that he was the one who did the bait and switch. He made me believe that he responded to my strength and beauty. So I felt strong and beautiful. Maybe this was never the romance I imagined. Maybe I was the shallow one. He saw more. As we sit in bed and watch the beautiful women, I am not jealous. He still thinks I'm one of them. All I have to do is
2: I use the New York Times games app every single day. I love playing Connections.
1: With Connections, I need to twist
2: my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look. teeth when i can finish a hard puzzle without pins i feel like the smartest person in the world
3: when i have to look up a clue to help me i'm learning something new
2: it gives me joy every single day start playing in the new york times games app
3: you can download it at nytimes.com slash games app breathe
2: Katie Couric, reading Leslie Lair's essay, How I Got to Hear. We'll hear how Leslie's doing today after the break.
0: Support for Modern Love, the podcast, comes from Living Proof, the science behind healthy hair. I'm Katie from Living Proof, and we get love letters all the time, like this one. Dear Living Proof, I am 43 and have thin hair. I've tried other products, but they overcondition my hair. With Timeless Conditioner, literally after the first two uses, my coworkers noticed and asked what I was doing differently. Love the product, love the scent, and will be a repeat customer. Love, Marjorie. Use the code LOVE for a free, travel-sized dry shampoo with your $20 order. livingproof.com
2: We're back. It's Modern Love, the podcast. I'm Meghna Chakrabarti, And now, a postscript from Modern Love editor Daniel Jones and the author of this week's essay, Leslie Lair.
0: Today, um, I'm about three years out from the diagnosis, and I am just happy to be alive. I'm still on meds. Um, But my hair is back, which is fabulous. I can tell my thinking is different, but I'm really sharp analytically. I'm really happy, and I'm definitely cancer-free. When I wrote the essay, it was the only thing I ever wrote about cancer. I didn't keep a journal or a diary. I didn't want to remember it in any way. And it was really the modern love piece that led to the next project, and it was directly related to the responses I got from that piece. I was so overwhelmed by people who sent in comments from really all over the world. And at the dark of night, when I was feeling really lonely and feeling really mortal, to know that there were people out there who heard my story and really cared and were moved by it and sending me good wishes, it gave me faith in humankind, but it also just made me feel like there was so much more going on in the world than than I had ever imagined. And also some of the comments noted kind of the part of the essay that talked about how I thought I had attracted my husband by being this femme fatale. And some people kind of questioned that part. And I I thought about why was it bad that I admitted that I cared how I looked or that I feared that my husband would care how I looked, And so I just came up with this funny idea and I decided to just go for it. And it's a memoir. It's about the American obsession with breasts over the last 50 years and how it has affected my entire life, culminating, of course, with breast cancer. But here I am back with kind of mismatched boobs. And and it's really funny, and yet it's really this cultural thing of how we look at women and and how we are today. And, of course, I'm happy to be alive, and yet still I want to look pretty. And why is that a bad thing?
3: One thing that, that Leslie's essay really says to me is that we often don't know what other people love us for. And what I find so refreshing about Leslie's essay and so smart is that she doesn't realize the depth of her own relationship. She feels like she's become a bad bargain all of a sudden because she's sick. And it's such a realization to her that that he doesn't see her that way. Leslie's essay also reveals how how, how when we're young, we almost don't realize... How important people are throughout our lives and, you know, how important some of those early relationships are and how people factor into your life for a long time, even if they just make random appearances along the way. And then suddenly you get to an age where, in her case, she realizes, you know, this turns out to be the most important person in my life.
0: One thing that really struck me was realizing how much my life had changed because of this one email that I had sent. I don't know what got into me. So I feel like the biggest takeaway from a romantic sense is just hit send. You just don't know what's gonna happen. You know, you you can't lose something you don't have. So you can you only gain if you take a risk. Just hit send.
2: Leslie Lair. She lives in Southern California with her husband, John, where she's working on her memoir. We also heard from Modern Love editor Dan Jones. And now, here's Katie Couric on why
1: she wanted to read Leslie's essay. How I got to here really struck a chord with me, particularly because my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And I think that a cancer diagnosis really does peel away all the artifice of a relationship and this notion that her husband liked all the things about her, her decolletage, her lipstick shade, her long hair um, was obviously completely false. And I think it took her letting down her guard and allowing him to see her at her worst that made her realize he always thought she was at her best no matter what.
2: Special thanks to Katie Couric for reading this week's story. She's executive producer and narrator of the new documentary Under the Gun, which explores the gun safety debate in America. It's currently playing on Epix and Epix.com and will be available on iTunes and Amazon starting on May 31st. Next week on Modern Love, actress Maria Bello reads her own essay about opening up to her son and to the public about her non-traditional love life. "'So are you romantic with anyone right now?' he asked. "'He had never met most of the men I had been in love with "'and had no idea I'd been with a woman as well.' (sighs) "'I took a deep breath, "'knowing that my answer and his response "'would have an impact on our lives for a very long time.'" And last week, Thaisa Farmiga read Hannah Selinger's story about waiting for love— We asked for your stories about the long wait, and you have come through and poured your hearts out. Well, actually, the ladies have. Gentlemen, I know you're out there and have some stories for us too, so tell us your side. Record a voice memo on your phone, 30 seconds or less, and email it to modernlove at wbur.org. Modern Love is a production of The New York Times and WBUR, Boston's NPR station. It is produced, directed, and edited by Jessica Alpert, John Parati, and Amory Siebertson. The idea for the Modern Love podcast was conceived by Lisa Tobin. Our casting consultant is Amy Lippens. Iris Adler is our executive producer. Daniel Jones is the editor of Modern Love for The New York Times and advisor to the show. Music for the podcast, courtesy of APM. I'm Magna Chakrabarti. See you next week.